If you would, open up uh, your scriptures to Exodus chapter 18, verse 5. We're going to be starting in verse 5 this morning, if you would. Read along with me till verse 12. Again, Exodus 18, verse 5. This is God's word. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel, and that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians." Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. For now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrificed to God, and Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. Let's pray. Dear Holy Father, Lord, we thank you, Lord, for the book of, Re- of Exodus, Lord. We thank you for this revelation uh, of who you are, what it means that you are Yahweh, God, we thank you for revealing your name to Pharaoh. We thank you for revealing your name to the Israelites, Lord. We thank you for revealing your name to us, Lord, the church, inspiring this book to be written so that we can read it and know who you are, what it means that you are Yahweh, what your character is. God, I pray that you're with us this morning, that we're encouraged, and and not just encouraged, challenged, Lord. That we build deep convictions off of what your word clearly says our purpose here is on earth. In your son's name, amen. As a pastor, I've learned over the last few years, whenever you pick a book to preach through... There's always a few passages in that book that you have no idea how you're going to preach it until you get there and start studying it. Side note, just real quick, I think it's one of the reasons verse-by-verse exposition or verse-by-verse preaching is so important because you can't get away from some of the harder passages. You have to preach right through the book. Exodus is 40 chapters long, meaning there is a number of passages that were in the back of my mind that I knew were a little strange or odd to me before studying them. And 
we've gone over a few of these passages already, so let me just give you some examples. Uh, do you remember Exodus 4, 21 through 23, when Mo- God sought to put Moses to death on his way to Egypt because his son was uncircumcised, and then Moses' wife ends up circumcising Moses' son and touching his feet with the foreskin. Odd passage. <laughs> At first, but then we studied it, and we really learned about God's fatherly love for Moses and how God will discipline those he loves like a loving father disciplines his child. If you want to, if you haven't heard that sermon, you can go back and listen to it. Or what about Exodus 6, 14 through 26, which is another odd passage. It's a, a genealogy, and, and we see a lot of genealogies through Scripture, but this genealogy is not like the majority of genealogies in Scripture that point us to the Messiah, the coming seed. This is a genealogy of Moses and Aaron. And we spent a few weeks on this genealogy, and we learned a lot. Or the last sermon that we were in in Exodus, Exodus 17, verse 6 through 16, which is Israel's first battle as a nation with the Amalekites, where Moses, when he held up his hands, Israel prevailed, and whenever he lowered his hands, Amalek prevailed. A famous passage, but again, odd, (laughs) without studying it. When I was led by God to, to preach through the book of Exodus, Like All three of those passages were on my mind, and I I just kind of wondered what God was going to teach me as I approached those passages and studied them more in depth, and what he would teach our church. Well, today we come across another passage, in fact, a whole chapter, that at first class just doesn't seem to really fit the narrative of Exodus. Let me explain what I mean, why why this chapter and the passage that we're in this morning is, is somewhat odd. There's at least three reasons why it seems like it it doesn't fit. The first one is where it's located. I have outlined the whole book of Exodus, and it's a very in-depth outline. And when I approach Exodus, I get my mind wrapped around the whole book. It's like three pages long. But but Exodus really is not a hard book to outline. It, it makes sense. It's a there's a logical flow to it that that Moses, the author of Exodus, inspired by God, presents. It's pretty easy to outline besides one chapter, chapter 18. It just doesn't seem to fit in the narrative or flow of the book. Let me just show you, show you what I mean. In chapters 1 through 6, there's the call of Moses, Israel's deliverer, the, a type of Christ. In chapters 7 through 15, we have the salvation of Israel, the ten plagues, and it, the climax of this is the Red Sea crossing. Chapters 15 through 17, we have the wilderness narrative where we see how God provides for his people Israel. Chapters 19 through 24, which we'll get into soon here, we see the covenant being established with Israel. Right in between the wilderness narrative and this covenant that's being made with God's people Israel is chapter 18. A long chapter about Moses' father-in-law, Jethro leads to a second reason why this passage is just somewhat odd. Jethro is the focus of this passage, right? Moses' father-in-law. It, it, it almost, 
It's Jethro and Moses that their relationship is is through this whole passage, chapter 18. And and it's almost like it ignores Moses' wife and two kids. In fact, because the focus is on Jethro, his father-in-law, and really not his wife, there's a lot of people out there, a lot of scholars or people interpreting Exodus, that say Moses clearly had some marital issues with his wife. You can read commentators that, that say this. Otherwise, he would have taken way more time to talk about his, his reunion with his wife and the interaction with, with his two sons. I, let me just tell you, I think that's ridiculous. <laughs> it completely misses the point of this passage, which leads to a third reason why this passage is a little strange. It's long. There's 27 verses, a whole chapter dedicated to Moses' interaction with his father-in-law, Jethro. And for us, maybe that doesn't sound like a, a weird, strange thing, but you have to understand in antiquity, it was, it was very difficult and costly to write things down. It's, unlike today, we write things down very easily. We have pen, pencils, paper, we have a keyboard, a computer. I mean, we have all types of books and magazines and newspapers. We're blessed by that. But in antiquity, it was costly, and it took a lot of time, and it was hard to write things down. So, whenever the Bible spends a lot of time on a story, there's a good chance that that story is extremely important. In fact, there's a good chance that that's a sign by the author himself That this story is significant in some way. And, I just want to be clear, I think this is absolutely true with chapter 18. In fact, here's a bold claim. I believe chapter 18 is one of the most important passages in all of Exodus. It's right at the heart of why the Exodus. So I have three points this morning. The three points are pretty simple. The conversion of Jethro, the four marks. The second point is the four marks that that show Jethro's conversion was genuine. And finally, we'll end with the significance of chapter 18. So let's start with the conversion of Jethro. If you would turn back a couple verses, Exodus 18, verse 1, it, it says this, Jethro the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law. Right off the bat, we get two titles that that give us some context to this chapter. The first title is the the priest of Midian. Jethro was the priest of Midian. This is very important. It points us back to Exodus chapter 2 and the the backstory of Jethro. It reminds us who he is. He's not an Israelite. He's a Midianite. In fact, he's a priest of of the Midianites, a priest of Midian, a a pagan nation, a pagan priest. The second title that's given to Jethro is Moses' father-in-law. Remember Exodus chapter 2, Moses flees from Pharaoh, right, because Pharaoh sought to put him to death, and he flees to the land of Midian, and he marries a woman named Zipporah, a Midianite, and Jethro was her father, so Jethro is Moses' father-in-law. These two titles give us really three important, important truths about Jethro. First, he's a Midianite. 
Second, he's a pagan priest. And finally, he's a relative of Moses through marriage. Moses' father-in-law. So again, look at verse 1. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for the Israel uh, and for Israel, his people, and how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Simpora, Moses' wife, after he sent her home along with her two sons. Now we get some added information here by the author. Again, the author is Moses. He's telling us that at some point, he sent back his wife and two sons back to Jethro between chapters 4, the last time we see an interaction with Zimporah Moses, and this chapter. We don't know exactly when or why, probably to keep her and his two sons safe during the whole plague narrative. Again, verse 3. Along with her two sons, the name of the one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the name of the other was Eleazar, for he said, The God of my father has helped me and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. It's interesting names. Gershom, again, this, this means, this name given to Moses' son, is I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. This points to, to Moses' 40 years in Midian. Before he was called by God in Exodus 3, he spent 40 years wandering with the Midianites, who was a... a a sojourner in Midian. And so he names his son Gershom. And then he names his other son, Eleazar, which means the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Again, in Exodus 2, we see that Pharaoh sought to kill Moses and he flees to Midian. And God rescued him by having him flee to Midian. And so he names his second son Eleazar. But when you think about it, these two names are not only just true about Moses' story. They're also prophetically true about Israel's story. Israel was a sojourner in a foreign land, right? Egypt for 400 years. And the God of Israel's fathers delivered them from the sword of Pharaoh. These are significant names given to these two boys. But from here on out, this chapter focuses not on the boys, not on Moses' wife, but on Jethro, Moses' father-in-law. Look at verse 5. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and, and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her, Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him and and they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent now there's two things that are surprising about verse seven i don't know if they jumped out at you but the first one is this moses went out to his father-in-law that that's surprising or, or or at least something somewhat interesting because great men usually didn't go out of their tent to meet someone Great men would, would stay within the tent, and the person would come and meet with them. And at this point, Moses was a leader of a large nation. The second thing that, that is more unusual and, and a little bit more surprising, even a little shocking, was that Moses went out and bowed down and kissed him. Now, I just want you to think about this. Because even though Moses was extremely humble, as we learn in Scripture— 
And even though Moses obviously loved his father-in-law Jethro, as we'll see in this chapter, and even though Moses probably learned a lot from Jethro in the 40 years he was in Midian living with Jethro and his family, Jethro was a pagan priest, and this was Moses. The great leader of Israel bowed down and kissed his father-in-law Jethro. Verse 7 again says this, Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Verse 8, then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for for Israel's sake. All the hardship that had come upon them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them. In other words, Moses told Jethro the story of Israel's deliverance. Obviously, Moses and Jethro talked a lot more than this one verse, verse 8. This was a summation of the conversation that they had. Right? He made it clear through testimony, through Moses' testimony, through Israel's testimony, he made it clear that there is only one God. That this God is holy and just and will punish sin. We saw the justice poured out on Egypt. And for those who trust in him, there is salvation. Right? He said the Lord had delivered them. What is that? What is that? What is that? What is that? 